Welcome back to the Code Adam podcast. My name is Julia, and today's interview is with Catherine Bentley. Uh, Catherine attended several programs between January 2011 to May 2012. Uh, thank you, Catherine, for being our guest today. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what your first experience with the troubled teen industry looked like? Uh, hi, yeah, this is Catherine Bentley. Um, I went to five different programs, four of which were from a parent company called Aspen, who runs a lot of these therapeutic boarding schools and these outdoor wilderness programs. So I went to two of their boarding schools and two of their wilderness programs. Basically, my first experience was with transport. There is nothing that will come and ruin your life <laughs> like waking up to two strangers I had just turned 16 like a day or two ago and I'm opening my eyes to these two figures kneeling in front of my bed and just completely freaking out like why are these people in my room and before you've even propped yourself up your mind has gone to a thousand places and then you see your parents standing in the corner and you're like what's going on and basically you know these people say you're coming with me you're looking at mom and mom says no, you're going with them. And so they don't let you touch your stuff. They don't let you say goodbye or hug your parents, pet your dog, none of that. You know, they just say, put on some simple clothes where you're going, you know, you're not going to need them. You're not going to have anything. So just bring what you need for the drive. And my intake at Adirondack Leadership Expeditions was my my first program, which is a wilderness program, and mind you, this is January on, like, record-breaking cold, and they basically, I remember being in the hygiene, like, shower area, and just being stripped down by whatever staff was on that day, and them zipping up everything into little plastic baggies, down to, like, I had a braided bracelet from my brother that, like, he tied onto my wrist, and they cut it off, and <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically, oh, and then of course, when you get to your group, you're not allowed to interact with the group. Basically, all of these places use isolation as a breaking technique in the beginning. You get there, you're totally shell-shocked, totally just like, where am I? What's going on? Where's my mom and dad? And they don't even let you talk to the other girls in the group. You only address staff for absolute needs. And I was just completely terrified on, you know, isolation, reflection, intake, whatever name they give it. <laughs> so what was your experience like with every program? Was that the same thing? Or how did that, um, the transitions from your first program to Ironwood, how did that transpire? So I had a really traumatic experience start to finish. Basically, I got immensely ill at my first program. I had gallstones, couldn't stop vomiting. I mean, couldn't stop, you know, I, I was having diarrhea and like vomiting and they didn't believe I was sick, didn't believe I was sick because I came in with an eating disorder and like nobody believed me. I was like, how would I make myself projectile vomit on purpose? And they're like, oh, we've seen it before. We've seen it before. So I kept getting more and more sick um, until basically five weeks later, I ended up needing emergency surgery to have my gallbladder removed. And in all of this, they were supposed to be checking our hands and feet to make sure our circulation was up. And me especially, because the staff knew I'd been struggling with uh, keeping my circulation up and I had low blood pressure. And so basically, because of staff neglect, they didn't do my 
toe checks in the morning because I couldn't stop vomiting and they were totally distracted and overwhelmed. And I got frostbite on three toes, lost about a millimeter off the tip of one and had to get my gallbladder removed without my mom there because it was in the middle of an ice storm. From there, my mom did eventually make it up and I begged and begged to go home because I had this window to talk to her because as you know, you can't talk to anyone um, without staff, uh, you know, intercepting. And she had been, they got to her. They, they told her like what I was going to say, you know, don't listen to her. She's a liar, you know? And I got brought to a therapeutic boarding school that almost immediately after I got there, uh, I was told that it was shutting down. So they accepted an intake and then a month in, um, they shut the school down and I had to get transferred again. So again, my parents brought me to from Bromley Brook in Vermont, which shut down to Academy at Swift River in Massachusetts. And I was having a lot of troubles there. It was probably, I don't want to say normal, but at this point I was totally shaken and, uh, the the students there were the problem I think you put so many troubled kids who have gone through so much trauma and these were kids who had most of them had been through wilderness um and the bullying was running rampant in the dorms because basically the dormitories were unstaffed other than one person who sat in the lobby area and I mean, I had girls like coming and threatening to beat me up while I was in the shower. And there was a boy who got waterboarded in the dorms by some other guys. um, And I ran away. Uh, So that's kind of my Code Adam story. I guess we can save that for the end. But I ran away and ended up at Seuss of the Carolinas, another wilderness program, all the same bullshit rules, basically. But luckily, those people, those people took the rules and didn't use them to enforce unnecessary punishment. They actually, I feel that program helped me. And so to go from that high that I was riding from Seuss of the Carolinas and feeling myself and feeling centered from nature to Ironwood was a total like culture shock. (laughs) Wait, so you say that that program was helping you and then what happened that got you from that program to Ironwood? So... Because I had run away, um, my parents felt that it would be rewarding me to bring me home after doing well at the Seuss of the Carolinas because it was shorter than my stint at Academy at Swift River was. So they just didn't believe that I should come home yet for whatever reason. And I think that's where the trouble comes in when, you know, families are using these places kind of to hide a kid who might be having problems and, you know, they don't want to deal with it. And in my case, my dad was abusive and my mom just couldn't put up with me and him going head to head because I wasn't going to play his games. Um so basically I got shipped to Ironwood when I was doing well for no reason and I was compliant when I arrived at Ironwood and I can say this much um I don't want to go into too much because I know we have a lot of questions above us but Ironwood when they were doing their intake from the start because I I know I was going in there to do the program and listen to what they said. They were looking for problems with everyone, and it was almost like they were more mad if they couldn't be mad at you for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're you're definitely like the the minute you step in those doors, it's what what have you done wrong? Let's find out. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because they're like troubled teen, and I think it was either Jason or Wyatt. Someone was like, "Oh, they just think everyone's a drug addict. They treat you like a delinquent from the time you get there." And I know people who were there because of anxiety, because of bullying, because of just really boilerplate teenage stuff. And what we went through. It's not how to handle that. Yeah, leading into the first question I have for you, which is uh, what was your relationship with the staff at your program like? I would say definitely really the closest thing is that of a CEO and a prisoner. These people are the ones who dictate what you eat, when you eat, when you sleep, every single thing. And so it's almost like the meaner they are to you the harder you're trying to be on their good side. And I think a lot of people up to put themselves in really abusive and toxic situations coming out of treatment where they're like always trying hardest for the person who's giving them the most guff. Basically, I talked to a lot of the girls who went to Ironwood and a lot of us are having that kind of simultaneous experience struggling with toxic relationships prior to treatment. That is an interesting point. I definitely think I've struggled with that myself or wanting the approval of someone who is just mean to me or, uh, (laughs) you know, I just want, I feel like I, if I'm nice enough to them that they'll eventually like come around and it's going to be fine. But I don't ever like, uh, acknowledge that their behavior might be like on them and not appropriate. Like I put that on me and myself instead. And I feel like that's something I still struggle with today. Oh, oh big time. I'm always like, cause the whole thing And I think this can be empowering saying like, the only thing you're in control of is yourself, but I'm actually not in control of other people. And I can, I can adjust my behavior over and over again, but eventually you're going to find out that sometimes it's not you. And that's not something they tell you when you're away. And I think, you know, that leads me into another thing because, you know, when the staff are easy to get along with and when the staff are treating you like you're not a prisoner, not you're not this horrible bad kid. And yeah. and they made it easier for us to get, you know, get through the program, follow the rules, get through right. um, the day to day, you know, things that we had to go through. Um, and so that's my next question for you. Um, at what point in the program did you decide to comply with the rules to move forward? Um, I think basically when I first got sent away and I was at Adirondack Leadership Expeditions, ALE as they called it, I wanted to comply as fast as I could because I was told that's how you get out of the program. And then I started to get sick. And I, I mean, my motivation, my ability, I was at threshold and I just couldn't keep up with the group. And I think one of the toxic things they were doing was like group punishments. So if I didn't do something, they'd punish everyone in the group. And then everyone was kind of turning on me. And it was like, I'm really, really, really sick here. Like the doctor says so. I'm, I can't get through this activity without vomiting or something. And it was really difficult. That whole experience was really traumatic for me. But by the time I got to Ironwood, I was kind of back riding that high, figuring it out, and I thought I had it. So coming into a place feeling like I know what to expect and I'm going to do a good job from the start, I'm just going to take the rules and do it, 
And learning that the rules are kind of flexible day to day, person to person, that was kind of jarring to my sense of safety to know that these people didn't really give a fuck about anything other than like showing me who was boss so much of the time. And like you said, there's, there's a select few who come through and they make a difference and they do care. But those are the people who usually don't stick because it's such a toxic work environment for them. Like looking back as an adult, I can't imagine coming into work and being the one person carrying that burden of caring because so many people didn't. So there was that sense of like, this person's my caretaker and like, I'm totally dependent on them and I want to like you because I spend so much time with you versus the, all right, you're not letting me shake my orange juice more than twice because we like it frothy or like. You're making me do push-ups because uh, I already was struggling with a workout. Um, and then the counting as well. Like we were talking about that on the last episode um, a little bit, like but counting after you eat and like just how filled up you would constantly be. And like, you know, you can't go to the bathroom whenever you want. Like somebody else is either in the bathroom and you're waiting for the bathroom or they're trying to count. It's just it's all like super frustrating. Your stomach's just constantly in knots from the stress yeah. and then from like the force feeding <laughs> Uh. No, it's, it's terrible. And speaking to the counting thing, I'm gonna, I just I have to tell this story because this is so textbook it's treatment style abuse. I the counting thing for those who don't know, after you eat, you have to go to the bathroom and count, and like you have a number or you count one, two, three. Um, when I was at LE, you were assigned a number, and so. I actually, in the middle of the night, had to, like, run out the door. They thought I was going to run. And I just, like, leaned over the rail and was projectile vomiting. And I was so sick as I was vomiting, I ended up, like, defecating myself. And I basically just turned around, looked at the staff, gestured at my pants, and I was like, hey, this happened. And so they sent me, it must have been, like, negative 10 to this freezing pitch black outhouse and made me clean myself with wet wipes and they had and I still remember hearing a voice say to me cow <laughs> while I'm like crying in the freezing dark covered in shit like <laughs> oh my god Jesus Christ worried about they didn't give me a shower until like midday the next day and <laughs> Oh my it was God. horrible. <laughs> and so, I mean, that just set the tone for my entire experience away, just knowing how little control I actually had over my situation. <laughs> God, that's messed up. Dude, I'm sorry that happened to you. There was no stability, none. And it, it, it just weirds me out that so many kids are sent there because they have strained relationships with their families, but they're isolated from their family at the same time. So that's weird to me. That is yeah, that is very weird. Yeah, I feel like um, the one of the things the program did help me do is like try to keep a relationship with my parents, but I definitely, um, you know, have this weird trust relationship with almost everyone because of it um oh yeah <laughs> and it's not even their fault at this point like it's just that's just how it is and I feel like a lot of us feel that way um but we don't want to hurt our parents feelings either because it's not like they knew um fully what the program was gonna 
have long, you know, long term effects yeah. on us. But um, I think that, you know, does lead me into the next question I do have for you is, yeah. you know, what do you think you would be like? Or where do you think you'd be if you were never sent away to these programs? Well, I mean, I don't want to step in and like crush anyone's toes who this saved their life or anything. But for me, it felt like it totally derailed mine. You know, um, I imagine I, I didn't. This was like my senior year of high school. My entire 16th year and part of my 17th year was away from home. And I didn't get to, like, go visit colleges. I didn't get to walk with everyone I went to school with. I didn't go to prom, you know. I had a totally abnormal experience. And for, I mean, up until just a few years ago, even, this has affected me. You know, if people ask, where did I go to school? What, like, where did you, like, it's just really hard to explain without getting this, like, side eye. Like, what do you mean? Or, like... So I'm constantly coming up with these new ways to describe it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and frankly, I mean, I, I hope that I would have been more normal in relationships without this place or these places. Because coming out, I've struggled, like I said, through really bad, abusive, toxic, codependent relationships And I feel like a lot of that codependency was ingrained in these programs where everything depended on the staff. I think that for me, I would have at least had a more normal experience, which I would like to believe would have led to a healthier mental outlook than where I am at this point. Where do you, and where do you think you, you are like mentally at this point? Do you think that, um, like you have a lot of like, times where you're thinking about your time at these programs or like do you feel like you've been able to move past a little bit or do you think it's going to be something that you know you think about for the rest of your life and you spend the rest of your life trying to heal from your experiences there you know it's for a long time I totally ignored it when I first got back because I was like I'm free I'm not thinking about it and then it started to catch up to me and I would start to think about it more and more and the fact is I have so many repressed memories or things that I was told, like, you know, I, I I don't know if some of the things that I experienced were real or not, because I had no one to talk to. And so like, I had this dream that I was taken advantage of by staff or so when I went to my therapist, she told me it was a dream, but like, it's haunted me for a decade. And when I saw that when this movement started and people started to come out telling their stories and more of my friends from Ironwood told me what happened to them with staff, it started to become, you know, a lot more questionable to me. And uh, I'm sorry, I totally lost track of your question. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. You, you were just um, explaining, you know, the, the lasting effects of what uh, these programs, you know, have done and, and staff. And see, like, that kind of thing. I'll dip into a past trauma, and then all of a sudden, it's like I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a theme for me, and I've had a lot of compounding trauma since getting out, and that kind of relates to that thing of, like, these abusive relationships I might not have accepted if I hadn't been told, like, you have no choice, you're bad, change what you are to fix other people. (laughs) Um, Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that's definitely like one of my biggest things. And I do think that knowledge is power. And I was given therapeutic skills. You know, I, I had DBT therapy. I had tons of group therapy. So it's not that there wasn't skills. It's just that maybe what we were contending with was more than what the skill set given to us was. Um, I'm hoping I don't have to deal with it forever. And that's part of doing this podcast and wanting to be part of this, you know, breaking code silence movement, just getting it out of me, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's important. I feel like that having a voice and being able to talk about it now uh, just gives me a lot of relief because I feel like I have done a lot of the suppressing as well. There are memories that that you, you know, I I think about sometimes like, dang, did that really happen? Did that really play out the way I I remember it playing out, you know, or or am I a bad kid? Am I a bad person that would just, you know, because the the program really did try to um, paint you like you're a bad kid who needs to conform to what we're trying to teach you and the skills we're setting or you're you're always going to be bad and you're always going to be a failure. Yes. I I mean, I still go through that every day. If I'm not seeing results or getting validation, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I need to step it up. I need to. And it, it, it's, it sounds positive, but when it becomes such a mental focus that your anxiety and social interaction, like if you can't interact, if you can't function because of the pressure you're putting on yourself, it's too far. I mean, my social anxiety is terrible. I mean, I was borderline agoraphobic when I was like 23, 24. And like, given I was in a bad relationship too, but I was terrified to interact with people outside of myself. And I'm stepping out of that box, but it doesn't mean that I still don't have these like flutters of like, where's my validation? And like, or what am I doing wrong? Like, they're breathing different. They stopped (laughs) Like, what did I do wrong? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) And I think that there's just such a hyper focus on therapy to almost a fault. You know, other people weren't getting therapy every waking hour of the day and constantly focused on improvement. Yeah, our whole day was focused on how can you improve yourself because you're not good enough at this point. So you have to improve. Yeah, Um, you have to be better because you're not good enough. I think I wrote in one of my journals something to the effect of like I like I'm not doing good enough, right? Like, but I never am. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I remember a few journal entries at the end of the night. I would be like, "Well, you know, today I tried to be happier, and I think I did it a little uh-huh. bit better <laughs> than yesterday." That just breaks my heart because that's such a relatable journal entry. <laughs> I did my best to be good today. I don't know if it showed. I can't wait for my review. Like, what am I talking about? Like, if, if a dog could write, like, an entry and they were, like, you know, taken by some bad owners, they would be like, you know, today I found out that they like it when I smile. So tomorrow I will try a little harder to smile. Seriously. <laughs> Maybe I will get a treat. <laughs> I dated this guy once, and when he'd smile, I'd be like, why are you smiling? And he'd be like, I'm smiling. I don't need a reason. And I'd be like, but I want to know so I can make you do it more. Like, what? <laughs> Gosh, yeah, the validation I would need from, like, everyone when I was sent out of Ironwood. And, you know, I, I another thing I I kind of found that I still feel like has, like, left me from Ironwood was, um, God, where was I going? Sorry, my brain comes in and out as well but um yeah, yeah it's hard when you're talking about this because you like slip into the past a little bit it's weird yeah I really oh 
Yeah. So sometimes I'll, you know, especially when I got right out of Ironwood, because I was younger when I was sent there. I was like 14, turned 15 there, but I got to start. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was, I was lucky though, because I did get to start high school fresh and I did get to go to prom and I got to do all that. But when I first got there, I felt so different from everyone else. Like nobody could understand me. Like nobody, like nobody was on my level because I just experienced this whole crazy nine months of no phone. Everyone was in their phone. I was like, look at me. I can do the sports. I can do this. I can do that because Ironwood taught me how to do it. Ironwood right. made me this like crazy person. And I was so like um, on this like high almost. And as soon as it crashed and burned and I was like, no, I'm I'm like everyone else struggling the same way everyone else is. It was it was weird. It, it was a weird, weird realization. And I definitely got really depressed from it, like very, very depressed from like that realization, like, okay, uh, nobody gives a shit about your trauma. Nobody wants to hear about your trauma. Um, you got to get through school the same way everybody else is getting through school. And you got to suppress all of that fucking shit and don't talk about it. Right. Because it's not the type of thing you can put on a college application like it's positive. You can't be like, I went through all this crazy stuff because all you're doing is divulging like, hey, I'm a bad kid. <laughs> yeah and my parents send me away oh gosh like your biggest fear especially when you're fresh out you're like no 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 I'm a good kid now I'm reformed <laughs> yeah I really did feel that way oh my god um all right so I mean I guess the last question well if you have any code atom stories do they have it? Was it called a code atom in your other programs as well? Or did they have a different term for it? Yeah, I think that that was a pretty universal trend because like code atoms are real thing, you know. And so my code atom, I did run. Um, it was when I was at Academy at Swift River in Massachusetts. I had had a really bad phone call home. And we had time limits on our phone calls like everywhere else. It was a 10 minute call. I was super upset. I just wanted to keep the conversation going. You know, I told someone, I was like, I'm so upset. Is my therapist here? Of course she wasn't. It was in the evening. Um, and like, I had no one to talk to. So I just sat seething. We were having like rec time or whatever we had there in this big thing called the great room, which was all these couches. And unlike Ironwood, we had a TV and, you know, a pool table. And there was actually some semblance of normalcy. But I was so upset and I was just seething for like 45 minutes. I finally go back to the dorm and I'm standing on a porch just talking about how upset I am with, you know, a group of girls. And me and this one girl looked each other in the eye and we were like, I was just like, I'm going to run. Like, I'm just going to fucking do it. And she was like, really? I was like, yeah. And like, we just... I started running, she started running, and we were running. Like, we just sprinted. I don't know what the other girls on the porch thought. We ran to the woods. It was nighttime already. We ran into the woods. We see, like, this group of staff. They have flashlights. They got dogs. They got the whole thing. And we're just hunkered down in the bushes. And they're basically saying, like, all right, you girls, you want to stay out there and freeze tonight? Fine. Like, we're not going to hunt for you all night. Have fun. And I don't know at what point I fell asleep, but I woke up in a bush because a staff just left me in the woods. 
Oh my God. around sunup and that's when we were like whoa they're not looking for us anymore so we started booking through the woods eventually got out to the main road we were fucking hitchhiking some random dude picks us up he gave us a pack of cigarettes dropped us in the center of the nearest town and we spent a day tra- like trying to figure it out uh, we looked horrible we'd slept in the woods overnight we went to a visitor center and like sponge bathed ourselves in the sink and we were trying to like find a phone or like any way to get in touch with someone to come get us and i went through and i feel like jason had it pegged where it's like you're just riding this high of freedom nobody owns your day so it doesn't really matter what you're doing because it's your choice for once (laughs) and eventually like we just floated around all day until we walked to the train station where the police picked us up almost 24 hours later (laughs) damn the police found you guys what's that the police found you guys yeah and thank god like the police were really really nice my friend was hypoglycemic so we were like freaking out because we didn't have money and she was super hungry so we were like scrounging for change to get her a soda and the the police actually brought us like burger king i remember they brought us each one chicken sandwich and one burger and i was just like Oh my God, fast food. You know, you know what outside food is like. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh my gosh. I can't, I can't imagine like just hearing like you making it like hitchhiking and getting somewhere that must have felt like so mind blowing. I really thought I made it. I thought I made it, but I had no money. I had nothing. I didn't even know where I was. So I couldn't find a way to make contact with someone. And we looked like freaking crackheads. We've been <laughs> out all night, so no one would help us. <laughs> and so basically, the, once the police got us, you know, everyone in the area knows, like Academy at Swift River, they called them up, they came and got us, and they were furious. <laughs> with us i mean they made me sleep on the floor in the like intake lodge thing on the floor with the lights on all night before transport could come and get me and bring me to Seuss of the carolinas and the other girl went to adirondack leadership expeditions because they refused to send us to the same place (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) wow just wow that (laughs) right and I mean, something I look back on, it's like, if that's what I was willing to do to get away, how bad was it? Like, like how, even when I was 16, I think that it was probably pretty bad if I was willing to sleep in a pricker bush. I mean, I actually still have a scar on my hand from this pricker bush today. (laughs) I mean, that that's kind of why I named the the podcast Code Adam, because it's like, I have had a lot of residents reach out to me, um, you know, saying that. They want to speak on the podcast, but at the end of the day, they feel as if Ironwood saved their life. Um, and I actually had a resident reach out to me kind of upset saying, you know, why am I reaching out to parents, getting people to say bad things, comparing it to Paris Hilton's Sea-Doo. Not once have I ever done that, by the way, or reached out to anyone. But um, I just think it's funny because it's like we had at least a code atom once a week. I'd be surprised if we didn't have a code atom once a week. Um, and, and it's like, yeah, we are trying to get away from these programs that we literally cannot run away from being dictated by. Um, so it's just like, yeah, I named the podcast Code Adam because it's like, again, like what you just said, 
if it was if it was that bad for us to run, like what was really going on? Like how abusive was it that you're having kids like run for their lives, hitchhike, like, you know, getting chased by police dogs, starving, you know, pissing in the woods, you know, because they want to get away from these staff in this program and the abuse that's going on behind these closed doors when you're not allowed to call your mom um, for more than 10 minutes and it's being monitored. So interesting stuff. Interesting stuff for sure. Yes. And it definitely speaks to something and like, I don't know. Like, I I haven't totally sorted through everything I've gone through. Maybe I actually never will. But all I know is that there is a dark cloud that surrounded me for the decade following. But a huge takeaway for me that's been positive is, you know, you guys, the community I've left with. And I I just feel like this podcast is a bit of a love note for everyone from Ironwood right now. Because, like, I love hearing your stories because... I, I, I knew your faces. I knew who you were in the, the orange, blue shirt, whatever it was. But I didn't get to hear everyone's personal experience. So this is great, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope that this, you know, just gives everyone a outlet to have a voice. And maybe it can help us heal a little bit um, to hear, right. just to hear, you know, what everyone's experience was. Because, yeah, right. I mean, I, I got to see your face. I was in the program with the same staff the same time, but I didn't know who you were at all. I had no idea what you were going through daily. So it is, it is interesting to hear, you know, what your experience was even before leading up to Ironwood. Like, I, I mean, I, I've heard at least several girls, you know, from that, my program who were sent to somewhere, you know, way worse before they got sent to Ironwood. Um, and, you know, they like very similar to something that you said earlier was that the it was a lot of the times the residents who were in these programs that were worse or abusive because they're like, you know, bullying or doing something horrible in front of you because of the mental health problems these these kids have. Um, right. And you're not necessarily like, you know, on that level of do I need, you know, the same help that this person's getting when, you know, my my mental health is here. And, and clearly there's a huge difference going on. So it is it is <laughs> weird to know that there's kids coming from program to program to program and they're all just this difference between everyone and it's not this individual experience that you're having you're just being forced to follow these rules and um do it with these peers and you have nothing you have no idea what they've been through you have no idea why they're acting the way that they've acted um so you just go off of like you know is this person level one or is this person level four and yeah you know that's all i have to judge you on really at that point in those programs and it ends up being at least while you're there, a really valid approach because I've talked to some other people who basically are like, yeah, if you were at the farmhouse, that meant you were broken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember, I remember when you guys came, I, I was level one, maybe like a couple weeks off of reflection. Oh, you probably hated us. (laughs) I fucking hated you guys. You guys came down with Ron Ann and your little green shirts, your green and blue shirts. And, um, I was in the lodge, like, reading mails, giving you guys, like, evil eyes, like, ew. I can't believe they're smiling. Like, who are these freaking kiss asses? Yeah, seriously. I really felt so mad. I was like, ew, like, go back up wherever you came from. Stop, like, kissing ass and smiling around me. That's exactly how I felt when I was orange and purple. Oh, yeah. I just felt like, how? How did they get you guys there? Like, what? I mean, it really is just, like, I felt like a dog. Like, I I was totally trained. 
And I think that a really big thing for the people who are saying like, this is a negative podcast or we're coming from a negative place. This is such a vibrant experience and so intense because of the way it happened to so many people. Uh, And I think that a big thing to focus on here is that we're not saying like, I want blood. I want these programs shut down. I really just want these programs to be what they say they are. I want them to be something that can help people with anxiety, help people who are being bullied, help people who are having an eating disorder, self-esteem crisis, connect with their families and connect with themselves. I, I just don't think that abuse, isolation, starvation, force feeding, you know, these things can be taken out of the equation when we're talking about people who are already struggling. Yeah. I I 100% agree. I think that that is like uh, something that hopefully our voice, you know, can bring into action and we can manifest this stuff by saying, you know, don't use all these punishments, screen your staff, make sure they have proper, um, you know, credentials when they're working with kids who have mental health issues and, uh, you know, don't shame and and force everyone to suppress everything all the time because that's not helpful and, it, and it's going to cause a lot of long-term issues for a lot of people doing that is not helpful so if we can get to a point where these programs at least hear from everyone hear the problems that it's caused you know there's going to be a lot of kids who can go to these programs get the help they need and it's not going to have this everlasting like weird ptsd of, like effects that are going to like continue on for the rest of our lives or however long we feel the Stockholm syndrome of these programs, you know? Yes. Um, I, I just, this whole thing, I'm sorry, this has just been such an experience talking to you and I know we're coming to a close here, but it's been a pleasure and like, I don't know. I'm just so happy that you're doing this and that everyone is, or at least a lot of people are participating and able to have a voice because we didn't, you know? Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for using your voice and, you know, being a part of Breaking Code Silence. I, I appreciate you so much for being on today. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs>